You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good afternoon and welcome back to the penultimate session, which is based on local reflections. My name is Bina Nepram, and I'm the Senior Advisor on Indigenous Issues here at the United States Institute of Peace. And it's a great pleasure to thank you for your stamina till now, <laughs> for holding on, and also to invite this brilliant panelist who will be looking, who will be telling us about, uh, we have four excellent speakers here with us. First is Fatima Akilu. She's PhD and Executive Director of the Neem Foundation, and she comes from Nigeria. Next, we have on my left, Jolpon, who is uh, Orozo Bekwa, Director of the Bulan Institute of Peace Innovations, and she comes from Central Asia, and a person of immense experience we have with us Margareta Hanita, PhD and lecturer in National Resilience, Study University in Indonesia. And finally, we have our colleagues, Mr. Sarhang Hamasaid, the director of the Middle East program of the United States Institute of Peace. The purpose of this session is for peace practitioners, expert practitioners from around the world to offer their reflections on how this RISE Guide have helped navigate and align to their work experience in rehabilitation and reintegration of people affiliated with violent extremist groups. So without further ado, and with the limited time now, because we are running a little late, we request each of the speakers to speak for five minutes each from their experience from each of their countries and then we will open it up for discussion. So first, I call upon uh, Ms. Uh, Jolpond to share how uh, her work, she was a former journalist and also an analyst from Kyrgyzstan, and she had published her recent book, Foreign Fighters and International Peace. So in her work, how has the issue of violent extremism was, has been tackled and how this particular book, uh, this uh, guidebook that's been released is going to help or have helped in this process of creating a more uh, you know, peaceful world. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, first, I would like to congratulate Chris, Mike and Lisa for this excellent uh, document. I have read it and I think it's really an important contribution to the issue. So I'm a director of the Bolan Institute. We are based in Geneva. And uh, since 2019, we have been working to study the experiences of uh, countries, how the um, repatriates are being treated, what kind of rehabilitation and reintegration programs are in place. So our approach is ev evidence-based, So, which means we need to study the existing experiences. And the main work we are doing is we have a network of practitioners and we um, facilitate interstate learning through practitioners. So practitioners are um, here, I mean uh, the uh, multidisciplinary specialists who are working directly with returnees. 
So uh, I would like to give a general picture. Um, so, so far since 2019, uh, in total, uh, we had 36 countries which repatriated their citizens from Iraq and Syria. So uh, uh, up to date, uh, more than 6,500 people were repatriated to their home countries. So uh, specifically last year, 2022, uh, has shown some uh, positive dynamic because many countries started repatriating and I think, uh, especially in Western countries in Europe, uh, the decision of European Court of Human Rights uh, had an impact, positive impact on the decisions of uh, European countries. And for example, France um, started repatriating dynamically, Australia repatriated this year 17 citizens, Germany uh, and Kyrgyzstan and Netherlands, for example, uh, United Kingdom, Spain also. So, uh, the, uh, in general, total number is only about 7,000, which is nearly 10% of the uh, residents of two camps. So, the main work is ahead. So, that's why we need to continue working on the issue. And uh, <clears throat> so, I would like to uh, 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 share some reflections, how uh, countries they are uh, re rehabilitating and reintegrating. So um, we uh, published recently a compendium of good practices, promising practices. So one of the good practices is taking a multi-agency approach, which means a whole of government approach, uh, uniting more than 15 state bodies. But which, this is not enough for the successful rehabilitation and integration. So there should be whole of society approach. So whole of society approach, we mean here engaging really local on, on the ground, uh, elderly people, teachers, old friends, family members, uh, religious leaders, and of course, um, as um, the RISE um, guide uh, says, really uh, local ownership is very important. Of course, the aid from foreign uh, professionals is very important, but they shouldn't take the main seat. Main seat should be given to the local people. This is very important from the RISE guide. And any country which wants to repatriate should follow these instructions. And uh, I would like to highlight mobilizing multidisciplinary specialists as early as possible. Even the country starts um, thinking about repatriation uh, at first hand, they think about multidisciplinary specialists whom they work, uh, they will be involving, and these people should be trained beforehand. And um, also, I would like to mention about the RISE Guide actions, uh, action um, about the belonging. So, from our experience, uh, what happened in Central Asia, in Kazakhstan and, and Uzbekistan, so women who were repatriated mainly these people who went to uh, Middle East, they associate themselves with the Muslim community in general. What is important, whenever they are returning to home countries, it's really important to give the sense of belonging to this country. So what did uh, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, they organized special courses for children. So they went to the different museums, they, went, uh, they met with famous people, and about the history of the country, this uh, kind of um, activities gave the, the, uh, to children the sense of belonging. They started loving this country. 
they started feeling that they belong to this country. This is also very important, I think. So I think I have very limited time. So maybe during the um, conversation I will continue, but I stop here. Thanks. Absolutely. I think um, no one really wants to fight. People actually want to live in peace, return homes, lead a normal life, smell the flowers, <laughs> and, and feel be, to be a part of a larger, what she, you said, belonging. I think, and, and to be able to evoke that through the series of community base and also to let them understand their roots, their history was what you brought about. Thank you so much uh, uh, for this statement. Uh, our next uh, speaker is Margareta Hanita. She comes from Indonesia, as we mentioned, so the floor is yours. And she has a PowerPoint presentation, which she will share in a rapid five minutes. Okay, okay. I'll try the best. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank to USIP for this invitation. It is my honor for being here. And I want to uh, give a congratulations to Chris. Uh, uh, the Rice Action Guide is very related with our work in Indonesia. Uh, everyone, I want to uh, explain to you about our work uh, with empathy, uh, community-based early warning system, uh, because building resilience to support uh, social reintegration. I would like to introduce you uh, our foundation. Empathiku have a mission uh, to mainstream empathy as life values and practice engaging community members, women, youth, children, policymakers, and other stakeholders. And I'll, I also want to introduce you uh, my um, my study, my university. Uh, I, uh, I'm a lecturer at the National Resilience Study, uh, one of postgraduate uh, program at School of Strategic and Global Study. Yeah. Uh, our community-based early warning system goals, uh, what I work with empathy, is to build community resilience to violent extremism so that uh, communities be able to, uh, to do early detection and early treatment of early cases and social reintegration cases of former ISIS-affiliated uh, deportees, returnees, or former terrorist in inmates. Uh, uh, we promote uh, four pillars for this community resilience. Um, uh, pillar one is uh, awareness raising, raising and also understanding. We have engaged with thousand community members, including Majlis Taklim, we said in Indonesia. It is uh, women religious groups, neighborhood, neighborhood groups, women's groups, schools, uh, youth groups, uh, community social activities. Uh, at least uh, now, at least uh, 50 alternative narrative short video contents uh, have been produced by women and youth, and and, and now until now, at least 40 early crises are detected and handled by uh, early warning system uh, resilience team. And pillar two is a case management system. Uh, uh, the most important in here is develop simple data management system. Uh, and we, uh, we also, uh, of course, about social reintegration. The most important is soci uh, in social reintegration is express uh, disapproval to the act, but does not push the offender out of the community. It allows uh, the person to be reintegrated back into the community. And uh, we, uh, we also uh, 
I mean, social reintegration through restorative uh, practice, and uh, it offers participants a chance to listen and be listened to, care and everything. And uh, uh, I did remember Lisa in the opening uh, about wall and and bridging. I think the, we we practice uh, uh, this in these uh, pillars. And and this pillar also uh, we we had a dialogue participants uh, in, and all are divided into five different groups. Uh, one group is former in inmates, uh, former returnees and their family members, uh, government officers, uh, village uh, police officers, village uh, army officers, uh, and then uh, victims of bomb tampering and family members. Uh, community members who support the return uh, of former inmates and former returns uh, to the community. And the last is uh, communities members who reject uh, the return uh, of the former in inmates and return to the community. You can see uh, at the picture, there is an army uh, village uh, officer um, joined the circle club uh, uh, and they reflect the uh, dialogue. Um, the most important in social reintegration is community preparation, uh, participant preparation, and uh, preparing empathetic facilitators. Uh, this is uh, the uh, three, uh, three uh, most important we have uh, to prepare. And uh, for pillar three, we're building social co cohesion activities uh, with uh, the communities. Uh, uh, we're developing uh, the initiative and uh, incising community social cohesion. And uh, pillar four, we make a policy support for early warning system uh, with the government. Uh, and we uh, provide all activity with the guiding principles, do no harm, prudential, respect to individual differences, uh, human rights, uh, confidentiality and accountability, social culture sensitivity, equality, gender equality, and fulfillment of their uh, children's rights. Uh, you can uh, learn about uh, our building community-based early learning system uh, through this website. And thank you very much for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much um, to our excellent panelists for keeping right on time and ensuring. So, yes, <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. Um, empathy and the name of our organization, absolutely. Um, when we look at violent extremism, sometimes it reminds us, you know, building nations and communities has to be done actually with a lot of love. <laughs> Not at gunpoint. <laughs> with a lot of love and your organization, Empatiku, I don't know what it means in Indonesian, but it sounds like empathy. Yes, empathy. See? <laughs> <laughs> so, right, yeah. yeah, and absolutely, you use uh, issue, uh, words, early warning is really critical. Early warning to recognize the signs and the symptoms that some kind of tension is going to happen is very critical, but in today's world of disinformation, how do we handle that is another issue that we can tackle. And you spoke about the circle dialogue, and I would add the circle of trust, the circle of empathy, which will form the seeds of more resilient societies. Thank you so much for this excellent presentation. Now, to my colleague, Ms. Serhang Hamasaid, the director of the Middle East Program, if you would like to share about 
that you have been, you and your team have been really instrumental uh, in the key, in the, you know, this, this uh, guide rise. We, and you have traveled to socialize the framework with key government and civil society stakeholders in Iraq. And, and the training starts next year. So please share with uh, our, our audience your work and your journey in the making of this rise. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> good afternoon. Uh, it's a true pleasure and honor to be part of this panel and this symposium. And uh, thank you for the opportunity. Congratulations to my colleagues, uh, Chris Bosley and Chris Inman, the rest of the uh, program and the colleagues who helped put the, this uh, excellent guide uh, together. Uh, as the director of Middle East programs, two countries named uh, today Iraq and Syria are in my portfolio. And in that uh, geographic setting, you have um, a complex, uh, big, and relatively unprecedented level of a caseload and conditions uh, related to return, um, rehabilitation, and reintegration. Uh, I'll focus uh, on Iraq for my conversation today because it is there where USIP has been able to apply uh, a, a several of its uh, capabilities to effectively support uh, return and reintegration. And I will focus in that context uh, on the Al-Hol uh, problem set because uh, it is the most complex uh, in the context of Iraq. Uh, the conflict in, uh, against ISIS uh, displaced about six million Iraqis, but uh, Al-Hol is the most visible and probably one of the most acute manifestations of what we are uh, dealing with. Uh, in the context of um, uh, Al Iraqis returning from Al-Hol camp, uh, a key barrier uh, to return uh, is stigmatization. And stigmatization is where the communities of return see those, who, uh, those Iraqis in Al-Hol as a threat, uh, as a threat because they see them as being members of ISIS, exposed to ISIS ideology. Therefore, if they come back, they see them as danger. The second component of stigmatization is they hold these people responsible. If you are being seen as ISIS, therefore, the, the, the large number of killing, the displacement, the destruction, and other damage is blamed on you. So that is a holding them uh, responsible. So this stigma has become a, a key component of communal and institutional barrier to return and it, cha it challenges um, a lot of people. So to look at the caseload of Iraqis in Al-Hol, at peak, uh, there are about 30,000 uh, Iraqis in Al-Hol. Uh, the government of Iraq, with the support of the international community, including USIP, uh, established a process um, for the returning Iraqis from Al-Hol. So far, uh, just about 7,000 uh, Iraqis have been uh, returned uh, in 12 waves. That's about 1,753 families. Um, out of those, the, those when they return, they go through a rehabilitation process in Iraq in what's called the Jad'a Rehabilitation Center in the south of Mosul in the province of Ninawa in the north of the country. Um, uh, how long you stay there depends on the case and depends on some evaluations. As of now, out of the 7,000, about 3,900 have uh, returned to their communities or another community because not everybody can return to their own community. So this 
progress shows that a degree of acceptance has been established by the, in the system and also at the community. And USIP's contribution has been particularly at the community side where we have successfully worked with community leaders in Anbar, which has about half of the population of Iraqis in Al-Hol, to transform community uh, opposition uh, to uh, actually collaboration with the government to return the, those, those people. Where the RISE Action Guide comes into play, uh, when it converges with uh, USIP's 20, uh, 20 years of uninterrupted work on the ground, is that some of the elements that RISE is emphasizing at the institutional level, at the societal level, uh, our dialogue process, problem dialogue process, uh, problem solving dialogue process we're tackling. But where the RISE is really helping us, it is provides a holistic approach through this full spectrum of individuals, society, and the system, the structure. And that is important to understand the scale of the problem, develop a framework to deal with it, and then develop direct programming to deal with it. Uh, so far, we have been successful, as you rightfully mentioned, Bina, and I'll uh, conclude there. Uh, we have been able to, even before the publication of the, of the RISE action, to travel to Iraq and deliver uh, the framework to uh, key constituencies in the, in the government of Iraq, at the National Security um, Advisory, the National Security Service, the Ministry of Migration and Displacement, universities, civil societies, uh, and the media, so to, again, to cover the full spectrum. Uh, the, the guide is uh, very thorough, covers a lot of ground, so one training and workshop will not do it. So hopefully next year we plan to do a more detailed training specifically to the uh, team working on rehabilitation at the Jada Center. And my last point I, I want to emphasize here is that um, if we, if we want to prevent the next iteration of violent extremism, we really, really need to look at successful rehabilitation, successful uh, reintegration as a national security imperative, but also a humanitarian imperative where we need to help these people uh, and see them, uh, a good number of them, as victims. 7,000 children in Al Hol, 7,000 children are under the age of five. Uh, and so that means they were either born in Al Hol or they were uh, really young when they were moved to Al-Hol. Uh, they did not commit a crime. They are not a danger. They are in danger. So it is really important uh, to uh, scale up the uh, mental health, the um, uh, psychosocial support work that is being done now, scale it up, deepen it, not just at the rehabilitation center, but also in the communities of return, because we are talking about a large number of people. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Mrs. Sarang, Hamas Saeed, for your excellent work. Peace work cannot be a project of six months or one year. United States Institute of Peace, 20 years investment is a testimony that if we continue to do it the right way, we can build peace indeed. And I think when I read the guidebook yesterday in a few hours, <laughs> I was absolutely stunned by the fact that it talked about the individual, the society, the structural level. It was a holistic way of looking at a form of healing, and as you brilliantly shared, today we have 112 million people who are currently displaced because of wars, conflicts, and disasters. 
and 107 active conflicts in the world till today, many of which you read in your newspapers, but there are 300 other forgotten conflicts that we have not even studied in a way that it deserves. So to respond to this again, as you really said, this is not just a national security issue, not just a global issue, but it is also a humanitarian imperative, as you brilliantly shared. With this, we are going to the last speaker, and it is the right way to end. She was meant to be the first speaker, but she wanted to go last, and I think the wisdom is because Fatima Ikilu, who is the executive director of NIM, who comes from Nigeria, has been providing mental health and psychosocial support to communities in Northeast Nigeria, uh, you know, affected by Boko Haram. So please, Fatima, share your work and your wisdom with us, and hopefully the audience can engage our panelist in the next uh, you know, few rounds of minutes. Thank you, thank you so much. And again, for me too, it's been such an honor and a pleasure to be here. Um, I'd like to say, Chris, Mike, and Lisa, I wish you were around 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years ago, no one was talking about mental health. Um, it, it was like a voice in the darkness. At that time, I was working for government, and when I talked about mental health, nobody listened at all. They didn't think it was a priority or that it could even be done or that it was necessary because we were at the time focused on CVE and then PVE. So I'd like to frame my remarks around three main things. There's so many things in the RISE guide, but due to time, I just want to frame my remarks around these three. First of all, the idea of placing um, mental health within, uh, sorry, uh, this type of work, trauma work within a public health framework. I think it's novel, it's time, it's needed. And also, secondly, the emphasis on not just the individual, but the transformation of the whole community environment. Thirdly, um, evidence-based. Uh, why is that important? I, I think pe uh, sometimes there's a gap between us practitioners and uh, people who do research. Uh, there's a lot of information out there that sometimes we don't have access to, and sometimes our data is not used in a way that could uh, really inform and make our programs better. So that it was really important that that was a big part of the guide. So uh, bearing that in mind, uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, my work. Um, today I'm only going to focus on the trauma aspect of the work, but it seems very important because I noticed that almost every speaker today talked about trauma. Um, I work in Nigeria and in the Lake Chad. And in the last eight years, our work has grown, but I always say it's grown, but not in a good way, because every time it grows, it means that conflict has increased. And why mental health? Uh, because uh, we found that in some of the other work that we do, uh, that unless we deal with trauma, people are not able to partake in all the other things that we offer, whether it's from a humanitarian or developmental perspective. So the peace building, the education, the livelihoods. So that's why mental health is a central part of our work. How do we do this? We do this in uh, two ways. Uh, one is we work with both victims and we work with perpetrators. 
what we're trying to do is we're trying to build an infrastructure for mental health. And what that means is that we're trying to embed it within the national primary health care system in Nigeria. Because often when you use trauma as a response to conflict, it's always short term, usually due to a dearth of practitioners and also because of funding. And as we know, for those of us who work in this space, just because you treat someone's trauma today, it doesn't mean two years later it's, going to, it's gone away. And often the conflict is ongoing, so people are becoming often re-traumatized. So in order to do this long-term work, what is it that we think it's needed? For us, we look at two things. One, we have to build a capacity of practitioners. How do we do that? We live in a country where there is a dearth of mental health practitioners. We, we have almost 150 psychiatrists with a population of almost 200. And uh, so it's not feasible to rely on the traditionally trained mental health practitioners. But uh, we can rely on uh, lay counselors. So these are people in the communities, but we need to train them to a level that we feel um, that they are good enough that they will do no harm. And so what I don't mean uh, training them for two days or two week, weeks or two weekends as we see. So uh, what we want is to build a cadre of lay counseling professionals and, um, le uh, and also develop a curriculum, uh, a curriculum that is embedded within the culture and within the community. And um, so we started this work and with the body of mental health practitioners in Nigeria to build this academy that will train uh, this next generation of mental health professionals that would be embedded in hospitals, in schools, uh, across communities. So this is very difficult and it's long-term work because we not only train in them, but we have to provide years-long supervision. So that means we have to train uh, another cadre of people to provide this supervision. Number two, we want our work to be evidence-based. Uh, very often uh, we find that sometimes we work in the dark and we don't know why things are working or why things are not working. So we collect data on all the work that we do. We analyze this data and uh, that's what forms our best practice. We adapt up uh, our uh, programs according to the results. So what we do is we collect pre-data um, before when we enter a community and then we collect data post the intervention. Our interventions, I won't go into it today because we don't have time, but are quite detailed in terms of we provide trauma support, we provide expressive therapy, we provide art therapy, and um, we found that there is a special category of people who are affected by conflict that when we do the normal counseling, uh, they often need more, and these are usually victims of gender-based violence, both men and women. So for that reason, we also have a team that's just dedicated and specializes in responding to gender-based violence in conflict. And um, so uh, I think I'm going to try and round up. Uh, but uh, so far, we have trained about 500 lay counselors across the country, and we have provided mental support to about 30,000 people. 
uh, a lot of that data has been collected and it's been independently analyzed by King's College London. So this work has been published in the British Journal of Psychiatry last month. It's an example of evidence-based uh, um, uh, trauma support in low-income countries that are uh, low cost. So I'd like to end on that note. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Fatima, again, for your excellent work and the leadership that you and your organization, NIM, have taken, as you said, for 10 years when people didn't speak about that issue. Now, uh, every organization and everyone is concerned about this particular aspect, and you have touched every aspect of it. With this, um, with the permission of the organizers, uh, because we had such brilliant speakers from Nigeria, Central Asia, Indonesia, Middle East. So please, if you have questions to engage, uh, please raise your hand and identify yourself. And uh, to please ask briefly uh, questions, if you have any. Did you meet all of them? Because I know uh, you're a big group. You must be speaking to a few <laughs> and missed out on a few. It always happens in conferences. So you want to engage uh, them, please uh, let us know. Okay. I think they are tired. <laughs> Everybody's tired, yeah. But we, with this then, uh, we would like to then find round of statements from each of our panelists of how this action guide you know, is going to, how are they going to use this? How this, in the next few, uh, you know, in the next coming year, how do you plan to take this up in your own work, in your own regions? Uh, and I would start from, from here and... Okay, thank you, Bina. Uh, I would like to... Uh, uh, say that I do agree with everything we done uh, today uh, about social uh, reintegration, especially um, that uh, I, le uh, I learned about uh, building uh, resilience uh, community. Yeah, before uh, this session, and we can see that uh, building uh, resilience is also about trust. Trust is each other, and how can uh, the community engage about uh, social cohesion? And and this is uh, not an easy things to do if we uh, deal with uh, 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 violent extremism. So I think that uh, we we have uh, to. Uh, I learned uh, from Lisa about uh, wall and bridging. Yeah, and also we we work uh, that it, that that's why uh, empathiku. Uh, uh, promote uh, four pillars and uh, and the first is uh, uh, early warning about uh, and how how they uh, we can uh, make uh, early detection and then uh, early early warning and dealing with uh, with the community uh, i hope and we we can work with uh, uh, more village in indonesia to make uh, building resilience uh, to prevent violent uh, extremism. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, RISE Action Guide, I think it's a very important document, but what, what should be done further to 
so countries they can learn from this action guide. I think um, uh, it's on the paper, but usually governments are very lazy. They don't read this kind of long documents. So what should be done is maybe some practical activities. So for example, you, you can have a small team with practitioners, and then uh, you, can, you can fly. You can fly to the countries with this RISE Action Guide, and then just to explain the simple words, like workshops, small workshops, maybe one workshop for the uh, mental health professionals, one workshop for community uh, workers, and then maybe one is for the Ministry of Social Protection. So this kind of um, blocks, you know, and it's, 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 it can be very useful. And then maybe the, uh, the whole document maybe can be read by some state officials, but not all of them, all uh, responsible people, they are not going to read because we, we know some very important documents, Hedaya's blueprint, for example, and it's about also language barrier. I hope you are going to translate it, I hope. So, and, and then uh, uh, one last point, sorry, I, I'm long. Um, so uh, uh, the Bulan Institute, we also developed um, modules. Uh, it's a training program, how to design and implement. And what we encounter is many countries, they really have this kind of fear. And then even they say, when we talk, they say, even children, they know how to kill people. And so they don't have information, they don't have knowledge, but they are very afraid of these people. And then once I asked, uh, I, I'm not going to name the government, but I asked, at least have you seen some videos from the uh, Jusan operation of Kazakhstan, they never seen. And I said, please watch, you can, you can see small children, three years old, five years old, they are not going to kill people. So this kind of really practical approach we need to show these videos, to explain. So I stop here, thank you very much, and I wish you the success for the further steps. Thank you. Uh, extremely practical steps, uh, translation, modules, videos, and I would add to it graphics. Your views. Thank you. So for me, it's just very simple. I'd, I'd like to see uh, the RISE guide become a bridge between uh, government and practitioners on the ground. We talk about uh, a lot, a whole of society approach, but uh, we're still working in silos. So maybe uh, this can be a common unifying factor in terms of how we carry out this work on the ground. So thank you so much. Thank you, Fatima. Sarah, your words. Yes, uh, thank you. I think. Um uh, as in the context of the Middle East and specifically in the context of Iraq and Syria, uh, there are a few things that uh, uh, we, we, need, we need to do. Uh, one is making it available in Arabic, which is uh, something that uh, our colleagues are working on uh, to make it as uh, far-reaching as possible. Uh, second, this is an action guide, not an action manual. So uh, customization for the context that we are dealing with to 
translated into practical action uh, manuals. I think this is uh, something that uh, we can work with our partners on the ground uh, on this. Uh, third, uh, the different audiences that we need to cater for. Uh, so in the context of Iraq, uh, the magnitude and the, uh, of the problem, six million displaced have gone undergone trauma. We cannot train everybody. We will never have the capacity to address uh, all of those. Even the 30,000 Iraqis in Al-Hol, we will never be able to fully train for that. So we need a wide range of partners that would ha adopt this framework, that would be knowledgeable about it, that we'll be able to do their role. So we are talking about, uh, I mentioned about transforming community opposition to support. So we've been working with tribal leaders. Uh, so how do we make this accessible in a language and in a way that tribal leaders can use? Teachers at school, um, uh, civil society organizations, uh, media uh, influencers, because we need a full range of actors to reduce the barriers to return, to reduce stigma, and create that conducive environment for people to return, but also to prevent this from happening again. Uh, I think, so this framework is extremely helpful to address the remaining human legacies of ISIS uh, and the wide range of legacies that we're dealing with, but also as a preventative measure. <clears throat> to prevent it again, we need to look at the structural things that caused the rise of ISIS. We need to look at the societal matters and we look at the individual matters. And so that's why uh, this is uh, key. Uh, getting it incorporated into universities, uh, I think, and the training manuals and think tanks uh, on the ground, these are all expanding the capacity, uh, because without that, no single organization or nor the collectives of the international community can deal with this as priorities are going to Ukraine and Gaza and other uh, competition with China and elsewhere. So we need to build that resilience. And the good news in the case of Iraq, we have partners uh, in the government, in civil society, in the university, so there, there are willing partners. We just need to connect those uh, dots uh, together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, let's give a round of applause to each of our brilliant panelists. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, to each one of you for your brilliant sharing. We now live in a time of war. To create a world beyond wars, this action book guide will go a long way because in today's world, we are seeing a lot of rise in violent extremism, violence in our communities. But what is very critical is also the innate human nature and the community need to continue to work for peace. And each one of us in this room, to each one of you who are listening in, in the audience and, and online, we know each of your work matters. Each and every effort of yours matter from every organization, institution, from civil society to nation states, to multilateral organization, and to individuals, as the Action Guide said, from the individual to the community to the structural. And three levels, uh, we hope that this will infuse the energy and the vitality and provide the tools that the world badly needs. And let us hope that this will shed a new light, as Fatima said. 10 years down the line, 
We will be proud of what you all have done. Congratulations once again, and thank you all. All right, everybody breathe deeply. We made it. I want to thank you all one more time for joining us on this very full, but hopefully very informative um, day. I hope you all took something away from our incredible speakers. I know I did, our incredible panelists, our incredible facilitators. I have such an incredible amount of deep respect for every single one of them and every single one of you. Um, so I would also like to extend a very warm thank you, not just to you, but also to every person who is up here and supported us today. I began to try to make a list of every single one of our panelists and moderators and realized um, that your remarks speak for yourselves. So thank you all. Um, we're really excited to embark on the next phase for RISE. So what does that look like? Some of it you all kind of talked about and hinted to. Uh, so the next thing that we're, we want to do, that we're excited to do, is to begin to build partnerships with organizations and civil society organizations and governments, both local and national, in affected countries and affected areas around the world. So that's the next thing that we want to do. We're very excited to do that. We're excited to introduce the RISE framework to them via workshops. Uh, to adapt and tailor the guide into concrete action plans that are owned by those local stakeholders and not by us. Um, we're excited to translate the guide, which is already uh, started. So we, we have in process translating the guide into Arabic, Russian, and French. Uh, so that will be coming soon. Stay tuned if you are a speaker of Arabic, Russian, or French. We haven't forgotten you, it's coming. Um, we also are excited to adapt this guide and to place it online using USIP's online global online academy, which provides free of charge access to anybody in the world uh, who would like to consume this material. So we're real excited to expand the, action of, uh, expand the access to this guide and make it much more accessible with that online course. Um, Finally, we're excited to keep the RISE document a living document, right? This is not an end-all, be-all answer. Rehabilitation and reintegration, it's still a new area of practice. We're still learning. We're still finding and, and discovering more evidence. And so we're going to continue to revise, to update this framework. We've already have plans to add several things to it. We know that it's missing something on case management. We know that it's missing something uh, on risk and needs assessments. We know that it's missing something on monitoring and evaluation, and we're gonna work to add all of that to the guide uh, as we move forward. We'd also love to connect with anyone here who would like to partner on any aspect of this, so please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to partner with each and every one of you. Finally, I would be remiss without acknowledging a whole cohort of people who helped us out to make today happen. So please join me first in thanking our talented event staff, uh, our AV technicians, our catering staff who kept the coffee flowing and who kept the AV equipment happy. Um, thank you to our volunteers who helped you register this morning, who helped to usher us throughout the day. Uh, Tim Marlowe, Kat Aaron Nijad, Andrew Mines, all have been here all day helping out with that. Thank you, all of you. Uh, I want to thank 
my colleague, Chris Inman, your dedication, your encouragement, your quiet competence is everything to this team. Thank you. Um, I want to thank the leadership of Lee Scrange, David Young, and Michael Phelan for believing in this project for years and for continuing to support it despite it taking years. Uh, of course, a deep debt of gratitude to Lisa Shirk and Mike Nickenchuk, who I could not have asked for better partners for this. Um, finally, I want to extect, extend one very, very special thank you to Mike Darden, who's up there in the corner. <laughs> Mike has worked tirelessly behind the scenes for months coordinating this. You must be exhausted. You've coordinated speakers, you've arranged the rooms, you've put everything together, you coordinated the, the, the catering, you have done it all. The run of show, every aspect that came together today is thanks to Mike. It was an absolutely Herculean effort and you are the reason we were able to pull this off. Thank you. Now I'd like to invite you all to join us if you have any energy left um, at a reception right here in the Leland uh, Auditorium. We'd love to grab a drink with you. We have soft drinks as well as beer and white wine available where we hope you will also peruse our gallery walk where we're featuring some of our friends who are doing amazing work in this field from the Boulan Institute, the Counter Extremism Project, Strong Cities, the Resolve Network, and the Organization for the Prevention of Violence. We would love to hear about, uh, about their work and love to get you uh, to talk to them uh, and learn about the great work that they're doing. Thank you all once more, and I wish you all a fantastic weekend. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Thank you.